One of the terrorists is trying to tell us something. It's me! It's me! Looks like he's saying... No FOMO, no FOMO. Smart-ass mother... Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency and future tech in relatively plain English. <laughs> we'll help you stay across the crypto world so you don't get the fear of missing out. Yeah, you can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. So this episode, we're going to be talking about NEO, which is a competitor to Ethereum, and it's—I feel like it hasn't been covered enough. And so we're mm. we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into that and see what all the fuss is about. Awesome! And we're going to be covering just a little bit of news, um, just going through a couple of the headlines in the the fortnight that was. So, mate, what have you been up to this last couple of weeks? Mate, I've been very distracted. I've I've had some social situations happening. I was I'm not going to lie. Last time we recorded, I was very stressed out. But now I'm actually a bit more, bit calmer. Um, mm. I quit smoking. That was uh, something that I also yeah, did. Yeah, mate, you quit smoking, which yeah. is awesome. I spent ten years. I really hope my mom's not listening. Spent ten years smoking, and then I quit. And you and you're doing really well. Like it's you're down to what two pieces of gum a day. Yeah, so yeah. I'm on that like nicotine sort of some some kind of quitting. Tobacco uh, gum. How's stuff? that been for anyone that smokes out there? Like, oh. what would you what would you say to a fellow? Now, if you smoker? don't smoke, it's it's kind of a little trickier to understand. But this is actually a physiological addiction. Like, you can find if you smoke cigarettes, you'll find that you run out of cigarettes, and then you just find yourself walking. Just you find yourself walking to the newsagents without even realizing, and then you realize halfway there, like, oh my goodness, my addiction has made me leave my house, get my card get my keys and go and get cigarettes and it's just what happens to you so that whole the the first five days uh you can't stop thinking about cigarettes there's no way around that wow it's pretty hard wow and you did struggle that first bit i remember oh you were- yeah <laughs> yeah i struggled <laughs> but mate you're, you're you're on the other end now and we're uh, here things are getting a lot better yeah yeah hey what have you been up to um Mate, I've just been, uh, I've actually been preparing for a seminar that I'm nice. doing in, in May. So, the uh, the PowerPoint slides are due tomorrow mm. and they will hopefully be done tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting pretty close, but uh, yeah, that's that's been good. Just, just preparing to talk to uh, a lot of people from a lot of different fields about uh, blockchain and what smart contracts can do, which is, which is pretty exciting. And other than that, yeah, I've just been just been keeping busy. It's it's getting to the uh, the the business end of the NHL season, so I'm just <laughs> nervously like checking scores all the time because there's about five teams vying for four playoff spots. NHL National the, Hockey National League? Hockey League. Right. Yes, yeah. so there's like five teams and there's four playoff spots uh, that are kind of open for these five teams, okay. and my team is one of those five teams. So just. Every, every time someone loses and like and we win a game we go up a bit but then if we lose a game we're like right back so you're it. on 10 Turks for the next oh mate the next two weeks and then the playoffs start and it gets even worse because oh, no. then you've got like seven game series uh, where if you don't win four of those seven games you're eliminated and that's it so it's a good lesson for any crypto investors out there don't get emotionally invested in one team look because otherwise you're going to be as stressed as Matt here is <laughs> 
I'm just messing with you. Oh, mate. No, that's uh, awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, keen, no, so it's, it's, it's been good, mate. But um, yeah, keen to, keen to get talking about some uh, some interesting stuff. Mate, first things first, is this investment advice? No, this is not investment advice, and it's also not legal advice. Nothing in this show should be taken as any kind of professional advice. This show is essentially two blokes... You and me getting together, talking about things we're really interested in. And yes, we Mm -hmm. do know something about the subjects, but the purpose of this podcast isn't to get, uh, isn't to give advice, especially in relation to cryptocurrencies. So new cryptocurrencies are popping up every single day and we're not going to tell you to buy anything at all. And nothing mm. we say mm, mm, should be construed as advice to buy anything at all. For full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different cryptocurrencies. Some of them we talk about on this show. Now, we usually mention it when we actually own something. Mm. But even then, if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it. Yeah, so do your research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. <laughs> nice. If you're new around here and you're new to cryptocurrency in general, check out our Blockchain Basics series. Um, It starts from episode two and it continues to episode eight. Um, You can find all the timestamps on our, on like in the show notes, so you can jump right to that section. But yeah, episode two to episode eight, and it will give you a grounding in the fundamentals and let you understand what on earth we're actually talking about half the time. Yeah, we use a lot of terms uh, that... Um, it's not necessarily apparent what they are when we first use them and mm. we explain a lot of them in our blockchain basic series so if you're, if you're feeling confused if we're talking about things you don't really know what the meaning is jump back have a listen to them yeah. we, we cover all this stuff and try and give you a, a good grounding in some of the fundamentals mm. so you can you can essentially just translate in your head what we're actually mm. saying some good examples and stuff yeah mm. episode 15 How episode 15 Mate, who would have thought we would have made it to episode 15? Mate, I didn't. I certainly didn't. <laughs> We've been talking to these microphones for 14 episodes, going on to 15, and I feel like we haven't really talked much about ourselves. That's a fair point, you know. When you're, not, when you're not thinking about blockchain, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, crap, man. I wasn't ready for personal Yeah, questions. you see, if I asked, I could ask you a question about smart contracts, you'd be like, hmm, here's an answer. <laughs> What sort of topics do you sort of read up on? What little like random blogs and things do you follow that just random interest? So when I, f- when I wake up, the first thing in the morning I do is I check Reddit and I've got like Reddit on my phone. Yeah. And the first thing I look at is the Anaheim Ducks subreddit because I'm a mad <laughs> Wait, ice hockey fan. Oh, right. Ice yeah, mad yeah, ice hockey yeah, yeah. fan. So for those of you guys that don't know, the Anaheim Ducks is a uh, ice hockey team in America and... They were originally the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. So, right. Disney bought a franchise oh. in like 92, I think. And then I saw the Mighty Ducks movies when I was really young. Mm. And the moment I found out there was a, an actual Mighty Ducks hockey team, I was like, that's my team. No way. And, uh, and so, I've been following them for well over a decade now. And uh, yeah, mate, that's like one of my big passions. And in my recent trip to, uh, to the land of freedom... Uh, I got to call in and watch a couple of Ducks games, hey. and I was just wait. Should, where is I'm Anaheim? Person. So it's in LA, but it's, oh really? Yeah, it's, right. it's you kind of got the main LA area, hmm. and then you've got uh, I think it's further. It's I think it's further down the coast. You've got Anaheim, right. which is a separate like it's about three or four million people in the Orange County region. So it's Orange County, yeah. Okay, um, and they're essentially the Orange County team. So yeah, that's um 
that's one thing I'm big. I'm just a big notes. sports fan in general, actually, right. mate. Like, um, cricket, mm-hmm. rugby union, nice. Aussie rules. Nice. Um, uh, I still mo- don't understand what, what's going on with Aussie rules. Everyone's it's kind like, of like aerial Everyone's ping-pong. like, are you watching the footy? But footy here means rugby, Australian rules football. Mm. and Or rugby league. Or rugby league. Yeah. It's just very confusing. Yeah, we've got a lot of sports. We've got a lot of sports that not many other people Everyone play. in this country is sporty, you know. Mm. It's not even funny. Like, mm. you, you're either really, really fit or you're just obese in this country. There's no <laughs> in between. It's so weird. Like, Well, like, breaking news. Like, uh, la- over the last couple of days, <laughs> we've had a um, a big scandal here in like, with our cricket team. So, they're in South Africa at the moment and they've, uh, they've essentially been caught cheating, which is like... Ooh. Which is a huge deal for Australia because we're we're really competitive, but we draw the line at cheating. You know, like it's just there's never been any of that that's gone on in Australian sport uh, that's been anywhere anywhere near approved of. Um, and uh, and I didn't realise how into like you know how how much pride we hold our cricket team with until this thing happened. And all of a sudden, everyone was just calling for like the captain to be sacked, the vice captain to be sacked, the coach to be sacked, and it was instant. And uh, and I was the same, and yeah, like I don't know Australia. Like if you're the cricket Australian cricket team captain, you've got like the prime minister who's like the the leader of the government here in Australia, mm-hmm. and then you've got the Australian cricket captain who's kind of just underneath <laughs> that, and you, they're like basically loved by everyone in Australia. So yeah, it, it is, it's a big deal. Australians <laughs> just love their sport. So what kind of things do you read? What do you like reading? Mate, like science fiction, fantasy, uh, basically anything that's really creative and different. Right, you know? right. um, that's that's what I really like. And I think that's part of what drew me to the blockchain is like the whole science fiction element to it. You know, it's it's kind of like future tech and right. that's why I love reading up about all this stuff and talking about it. Um, mate, yeah, how about you though? Let's let's talk about you. What what do you, what do you what gets you up in the morning? Do you know what? It's a mixture between business and politics. Like that's literally what what I what I'm thinking about the whole time. So um, I'm a, I used to be addicted to reading news. So back at uni, I'd spend five plus hours a day because I never turned up to lectures. Mm. Um, I spent five plus hours a day just reading news. Yeah, and then that's when I got into Feedly, which is a tool we mentioned a few episodes back, which is basically where you can subscribe to all those news feeds in one place. Yeah, so I had you know six hundred odd sources. Even today, I've got six hundred odd sources. That all go into my news feed, and I'm just, I was just reading news. <laughs> so, must have spent three years at uni solidly, just spending five hours a day, more on weekends, just reading news, foreign policy, especially yep. geopolitics, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And outside of that, it was a just, it's, I am only reading about marketing and growing businesses. Yeah. Because for some people, it's like, oh, my, for me, marketing seems really easy. It's just mm. selling a business, and it's, yep. But for a lot of people, that's actually a really—it's it's something that's much more tricky for business owners. Yeah. Whereas for me, helping grow businesses is something I just do. So yeah. I just love like if I'm not reading about politics and geo like geostrategic stuff that's get geopolitical maneuvers and all that stuff that's going on. Yeah. I'll be reading about marketing, how to grow businesses, how mm. to make things better, how to improve experiences, how mm. to. And that's literally that's that's basically what I do. And then I, like as well as working in marketing, I consult on the side for a couple of businesses. Yep. I just get a cut of sales and I help grow their businesses. So yeah, that's basically all I do. And then there's this podcast. Yep. And that's that's I guess you you'd say that would be me. I you know I'll walk past and I'll see. You know all these news feeds that you've got, um, <laughs> and you're just consuming all this information. You know, and but it, it's it's awesome hearing 
you talk about marketing though because you do say that you're really passionate about it and I see that whenever I start to get you talking on on what you're doing for someone else and how you're building that business like your face just lights up what really gets you excited about that though do you know what I think the whole thing is just I've always like when I was younger I started off doing design yeah. that's why when I was a kid I started just forging things that I liked so I found a cool design cool ad and I just tried to mimic it it yep. was just mimicry that's all it was Yeah. but then I started to get into like typography yep. and fonts yep. and it sounds really stupid but then when something the design is amazing when you've got a brand I had just started I love designing logos and just creating those brands mm. because it's amazing how much feeling can come out from just some fonts and some letter spacing and some colors. Yeah. Like it's, you can, and I just love that whole idea is you can just change the font and make it, you could type, type some words out, mm. set the fonts and the colors and suddenly it could be an Italian patisserie or mm. you could set it as, you know, some futuristic font and be like yep. a, some sort of, uh, science consulting group you know there's yep. there's so much that you can do with that and i love helping create companies so that's one of the things that i do with my clients yeah while i'm actually doing marketing i'm actually rebranding them. i'm getting their color scheme i'm making them look like a million dollars yeah because when you want to buy off a company yeah sometimes people like a lot of people say they don't care about the design but it's subconsciously mm. if it looks cool as yeah I'm more likely to buy from it. Yeah. And I love creating amazing websites. The FOMO show has work to go, don't worry. But Mate, it, I looks, just, it looks good though. I just love creating stuff that just feels great. Yeah. And there's something about that feeling. I can't even put a finger on it, but it's just an amalgamation of all of that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what totally gets me excited and about all that stuff. And I don't even spend enough time on it. But, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, mate, because... You get so you get so caught up in. I feel like f for me anyway, the blo blockchain, the tech, um, doing things within that sphere has taken up so much of my life that used to be, you know, focused on other things. I, I, I do do a fair bit of writing in my spare time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was writing more fiction-based stuff. Right. Now I'm writing more for you know the uh, between the podcasts and. Um, the blog that I'm doing. So, what, yeah, more about what's this blog that you're doing? What's you, you, you're starting something up here, right? Yeah, mate. Essentially, it's a uh, it's a it's a, a blog centered around blockchain, smart contracts, and the goal of it is to help businesses prepare themselves for what's coming. So, uh, the the steps ahead in blockchain, the steps ahead in smart contracts, the businesses that are going to really thrive in the next five to ten years, mm. similar to where we were with the internet 20 years ago, mm. even 25 years ago, are the ones that start using this technology in a meaningful way and mm. start looking at their workflow and saying, how can I improve this with the technology that's that's coming? And that that's different for every business. You know, Some businesses aren't going to benefit from blockchain, but there's a whole lot of businesses... A whole lot of government entities, a whole basically everything in our society, there are places where blockchain is going to make a lot more sense than just your traditional web architecture. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm uh, th that's what gets me really passionate is looking at uh, where a business is at and where they can start plugging this this stuff into their workflow, or if they want to start a new project, how that may look based on a on, on a on a blockchain architecture. So let me get this straight. You're you're helping people sort of 
you're helping businesses and organizations see where their future could be with mm. blockchain and smart contracts. And you're helping them map out the journey from where they are now into that future. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, so many people, what it is, is that they, they've heard about the blockchain. They may even have a, a slight grasp on what's going on. But to take that next step and to really get a handle on everything is quite hard. I mean, we we do a podcast around some of it and it's just such a broad area mm. and not a lot of it's documented. There's not a lot of standards out there. Everything's still really fresh. It can be quite hard. And so... My passion is, and 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 why I'm doing uh, this new project is to to be able to to first of all talk to talk to people, talk mm-hmm. to businesses, teach them about the fundamentals of the blockchain, mm-hmm. and then kind of help them to start thinking with what I call a blockchain mindset. And then we can begin looking at mapping out, and that could be something they might be able to do themselves once they know a bit more about it, or something mm-hmm. that I can help them with mm-hmm. uh, to map out that journey. And then as as we start hitting those points where it makes sense to start implementing some of that, to start building it and implementing it, yeah. whether that be now, whether that be in a year or two years, uh, then begin that journey with them into actually integrating this stuff and building it. Um, and that's that's kind of the motivation there. So, at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm doing more uh, seminar work, mm-hmm. um, beginning to talk to businesses about uh, coming and talking to to their employees Mm -hmm. or even just their their leadership group but as time goes on it will be a lot more practical focused and that's where I'm focusing a lot of my efforts kind of skilling my own practical expertise up in anticipation of where things are going to be yeah. in six months and a year. So. Mate, this is awesome. So, if, 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 if I'm listening to this and I'm like, this sounds super keen, where do I go? What can I do? Can I say, like, so I'm guessing I can subscribe to a blog? What, what, what can I do? So, the site's called BlockSense that mm-hmm. all the content's on. Uh, it's BlockSense, B-L-O-C-K hyphen sense, S-E-N-S-E dot I-O. And you can sign up there to a mailing list and that awesome. mailing list will then get you the regular updates that come out through that. Awesome. Um, we'll probably, uh, we, we, the FOMO show is up there as well. So, we'll be pushing out regular updates through that as well. And we've got to get our own mailing list up on the FOMO show site too. Awesome. Uh, so, look out for that. Um, <laughs> I've made so many promises and things to put up on the website. I've done none of it. We're just really busy people at the moment. Okay. Everybody, you, myself, yep. everyone listening, We've all had problems with like procrastination mm. and it's probably something we all hate. You know, we feel like we're being unproductive or wasting time, you know, scrolling down on Facebook. And But ultimately, we've all got the same problem. Mm. I haven't got a fix for it because I've been sitting there six years with a reminder that pops up every day, <laughs> start this blog. It actually comes up on my phone. Really? I every just day. swipe it away. Same with my bedtime alarm. You know, yep. it just it's yep. one of the things I just ignore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, if you're listening and you've got like, if you've done anything, if you used to be really bad at procrastinating and you came up with like a solution, Mm. drop us a message. I would be so keen to learn. Yeah. But also if you're sitting on something that you want, if there's something you want to do, you know, I mean, this is what I've learned in the last six to nine months. If there's something you want to do and you've been talking about doing it, like... It, it sounds really simple to say, but just do it. Like, just, just start make somewhere. a start. Because, I mean, even with this podcast, we, 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 for probably a couple of months before we started this podcast, would just talk and talk and talk about blockchain. And then I said, we should start a podcast, mate. And then we, like, kind of joked around about it for a while. And then we're like, that would actually be really fun. 
Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's and we just did it. You know, we had zero problems with the procrastination. There was like zero. <laughs> like it just happened. Yeah. Not everything can happen like that. Maybe if you're working on a project, mm. you just need to find somebody else to work on the project with you. Yeah. yeah. And then you can just because you can keep each other accountable. I mean, I think that's we make a point of of recording at a certain time mm. every single week, mm. and we keep each other accountable to that. You know, and it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to let Joe down, and you're probably, oh, I don't want to let Matt down. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like we got to record on Mondays. It's not, <laughs> we're not like every other Monday. We're not messing about. There yeah. was something like I really need needed to get done, but I was like, no. The, the Joe was like, let's just record, and I was like, yep, no, you're right. We just need to record, and here we are. So it's episode fifteen. Episode fifteen. How um, keen is that? And you're set. Like, if welcome to the show. If it's your first time here, I mean, it's so great having you here. It's yeah, it's 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 real, like we really appreciate you listening. And look, if there's anything you want to hear about, uh, either in relation to blockchain or from us, if you've got any questions for us, let us know. We're just trying to bring a little bit more of ourselves to the show, um, and not just talk about all our topics all the time. Yeah, you know? um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, because I think we've learned some real lessons doing this, and it's just it's it's nice to be able to share that as well and and connect with you guys. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so what's been going on this week? So, the, the Snowden docs, which were released a few years ago, people are still pouring through them. So, there's so many documents that are, mm. that are that were leaked from that. And one of the things that's come out of those documents is that the NSA, the National Security Agency, worked actively worked to track down Bitcoin users from 2013 onwards. It's pretty crazy. So, the the documents suggest that. Um, it went way beyond actually tracking Bitcoin's public transaction ledger, um, known as the blockchain. They actually co- collected some Bitcoin users' passwords, internet activity, and even some of their unique device identifiers, so the MAC address on your computer, according to a 2013 NSA memo. But yeah, they uh, as part of their like bulk data collection programs, they've actually been like grabbing a huge amount of information for years about bitcoin users so Mm. and been using that to identify them and track down a lot of illegal activity and um you remember the dread pirate roberts um the chap who got stuck in in prison for running the silk road Mm. the underground dark net marketplace um, ross ross albrecht yeah yeah so he'd been claiming when he was when he was going through the court system, he was like, look, the NSA or some, like he claimed the NSA had used illegal techniques to mm. get evidence against him. Mm. And while these documents don't exactly say that precisely, it's showing that around that time, the NSA were, you know, were doing a huge amount of research into Bitcoin blockchain um, and, pe- you know, all the transactions and identities of people. Mm. And, Considering how big that marketplace was at the time, mm. would not surprise me if there was illegal surveillance that was used to tra- tra- like to track him down yeah. and use this evidence to against him. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. The whole the whole dark web thing in general is quite interesting because one of the biggest investors in the Tor Foundation, which which runs the a lot of the access to the dark web mm. uh, is the U.S. military. Mm. Well, it was um, built by the U.S. Navy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that they they helped build a lot of it. That should the, be a big red means. flag if you're going to go <laughs> and do some illegal activity. Why are you using <laughs> <right>. a military built? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's true. And I, th- I think you know, look at looking at most of the documents that have come out of this thing. I think it would be hard to make the case that they haven't used some illegal techniques to 
to gather some of this evidence. I guess they're an intelligence agency. They're not supposed to abide by the law. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the the law doesn't apply to a lot of intelligence agencies. Mm. Really, they're, mm. they're kind of given a, an immunity to hunt mm. things down. And look, there are instances where that may be beneficial to society, but uh, the fact is, it's just something to be aware of. You know, if if you are a cryptocurrency user, especially if you've been using it for a long time, you just should be aware that there's a good chance that you have already been put somewhere on a list Mm -hmm. and you may well be getting watched and getting tracked. I think there's this misconception with a lot of people who get into crypto that Mm. it's really private Mm. Um, when it's really not. And look, I'm yet to see a really good article explaining even with the privacy coins about how whether privacy coins actually keep you Mm. private Mm. totally. Mm. But I know for a fact that just because you're using something that is anonymized in some way doesn't mean you're not leaking a whole bunch of information mm. in other ways, mm. you know, mm. and enough information that they can tie you at the source mm. to, you know, that public key mm. and know exactly what's going on. Yeah. So, it's just something to be aware of and it's something good to be aware of. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, just there's no guaranteed mm. privacy mm. and as soon as you think that you're, I guess, completely secure, yep. probably when you're most vulnerable. Yeah, and look, my, my general advice... Um, to anyone really is just that you should you should really act as if anything you write down or send to someone uh, via anything on the internet could be before a judge one day. Ah, right. And that's and and that's that's generally a good way to go <laughs> about it because <laughs> because uh, the internet has permanence. You know, it's 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 hard just to get things completely taken off the internet there's all sorts of caching services now that cache all sorts of social media and uh, I know of government employees that they don't even bother looking at social media platforms as they stand now they go to these caching services and and they can find stuff that's been deleted four years ago or mm. stuff that's been deleted six or seven years ago you know um, so it's it's just a very good practice for your own you know private use just to be very careful about what you put online Um because something can seem totally innocent, but there's a, there was a saying, I can't remember who it's f- from, but it's like, essentially it says, give me four phrases from the most innocent man and I'll find something upon which to hang him. Ooh. And uh, it's very true, you know. It, the way that we look at things is very subjective and it's just really good practice to be very careful about what you put online and what you say online and just, you know, always be aware that that may end up before someone else one day. There was some random piece of news. There was a claim that Yahoo Japan was going to buy some Japanese ex- exchange, but that sort of fell through like a day later when people were like, no, that's not actually a thing. Mm. The actual Japanese exchange themselves were like, no, it's yeah. not, we're open to things, but... Mm, a lot of fake really news that. circling around. Yeah. At the moment, I think. Yeah. A lot of excitement. A lot of excitement. People are getting ahead of the fact checking. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good strategy actually. When you're reading these, there's a whole bunch of different crypto news sites. Um, but it's just a good strat- strategy whenever you're reading any of them, just to make sure that they're referencing things. Mm. And there's references from more than mm. one place, especially in the crypto world when there's so much money flying around and people are really paranoid about, you know, what's the next bit of news going to do the market. Pe- journalists just have the the tendency to pass things on and write articles based on other mm. articles and it's like it's about the first to the story not the 
Yeah, it's like a game of Chinese whispers, you know? Like, the first person that whispers in in someone's ear, they have a dog, they get to the end and it's like the octopus went to lunch. (laughs) Where did we get that from? (laughs) Yeah, Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter and uh, I think he's a founder of Square, which is a big payments Mm. provider um, uh, for for merchants. If you run a business, you can get little Square payments Mm system that you can sort of swipe cards and they've got a bitcoin wallet now too yeah Yeah. so square yeah they run um uh, cash.me i think it is Mm. where it's basically a little debit card that you can sort of keep money in and get money off other people yeah have you seen the visa card that's there you can get a custom visa. go to cash dot if you're listening and you're on an internet browser go on cash.me and just scroll down on that website and just look at the Visa debit card that you can get. You can get a custom Visa card, just black, mm. which says Visa debit in the top right corner. And underneath, you can have your signature written on it. Mm. How keen is that? Mm. The signature there for everyone to see. Yeah, perfect yeah. way to commit <laughs> bank fraud, eh? But yeah, he said that Bitcoin will be the world's single currency in a decade. What do you reckon about that? Yeah, I find this one really interesting because this is coming from a guy that literally just invested in Lightning Labs, which is the company that's building the Lightning Network architecture in in consultation with, I think, Blockstream and one of the other big Bitcoin core uh, players. Right. So... To me, like while it, it could just be someone that's really hyped on an investment that he's just made, mm-hmm. it also, I mean, it's also someone that knows the power of news and knows the power of his position to mm-hmm. influence market sentiment. Mm-hmm. And by him saying that he thinks Bitcoin will be the only currency in 10 years, mm-hmm. a cynic would uh, would say that, well, that's just self-interested, you know, marketing. Yeah. Because, you know... If if he manages to bump the Bitcoin price by five percent, or bump the stock price in his company by ten fifteen percent in this new investment, he's already made his money back, and that's a cheap cheap way for him to increase the value of his investment. Look, let's let's look at his actual claim on its face, and his claim is that Bitcoin will be the only cryptocurrency in ten years. It'll be the single currency in a decade. Now, look, two years ago when Bitcoin held like ninety five percent market share or something close to it, I think that could have been believable. But the trend of of the way that crypto has been going says anything but. Consistently from about two years ago onwards, Bitcoin's market dominance has been gradually dropping. It's been dropping and dropping and dropping as Ethereum and um, Litecoin and, you know, Cardano and all, all sorts of, and Dash and all sorts of other things have popped up. And... He's come out and said that, but I don't see any indication that that's actually what's happening at all. So if you you look at what's happening in the market, Mm. I feel like it's more like, no, there's going to be a whole bunch of currencies. There might, you know, some might fall off and there might be some definite winners, but I just can't see how everyone that's now diversified and are really invested in these other projects and cryptos are going to come back to Bitcoin as the main solution. Mm. Especially when, you know, you look at the momentum behind Ethereum. And you look at the momentum behind NEO, which we'll be talking about later, and several of these other projects, I can't, I can't see any of them coming back within mm. the fold. Because you do Bitcoin. you do wonder how many of these, because there are thousands of cryptocurrencies these days, yeah. but you wonder when the music stops, yeah. you wonder how many of them are going to have a seat. Mm. 
And, you know, is he going to be five, 12, mm. more, uh, thousands as there are now? Mm. I, it makes me wonder. I honestly don't know. Mm. But, you know, it's feasible that Bitcoin could be the thing that everyone, everything is priced in. Yeah. yeah. You know, sort of like the, you know, our unit, like universal means of measuring. Mm. But it's a very good point. Like, mm. I don't know. Yeah. I, like, there's definitely, Bitcoin still is definitely the market dominator mm-hmm. by a long shot and you could definitely see it as kind of like the US dollar of today becoming kind of like that more stable comparatively stable coin um, but I, I like in my personal view at least the way I'm not investment advice but the way I'm leaning towards is that the ones that are going to survive when the music stops are the ones that have built genuine niches and use cases for themselves right. like if, if, if you've got a currency that's performing a function that no one else can perform, then I think that that currency has a seat at the table. That right. platform has a seat at the table. And it's really interesting to talk about because at the moment we've we've kind of got these two separate worlds of like the internet and currencies, mm-hmm. and you've got you know currencies perform one function really in mm-hmm. most of most of the world. Like your, your Australian dollar, US dollar, it's just a transactional mm-hmm. currency. Mm-hmm. It gets a little bit blurry when you get like the you know the 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 oil, the 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 US oil, um, when US dollar gets tied to oil or US dollar gets tied to different resources and they become these kind of like pseudo commodities that are kind of mixed in with the currency. But I don't think it's to the same extent that we're seeing in crypto, where we've really got uh, platforms and uh, currencies with more than just a simply transactional element to them. Um, so I wonder whether most of the the survivors that we'll see when everything stops are the you know, quote unquote currencies that have more to them, you know, the mm. Ethereum's, the EOSs, the Cardano's, the Neos that have built platforms around their currency and provide some real extra use cases to which that currency is essential. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What do you reckon when the music stops? How many players do you reckon they're going to be? Let us know. Tweet us, FOMO.show. Jump in our Slack messaging system, FOMO.show slash Slack. Let us know what you think. So, Matt, I, um, I came across this really interesting article uh, about the crypto winter. And it's funny for us in Australia because it's summer at the moment. But for the rest of the world, it's winter. And it's, it talks about the 10 best and worst performing altcoins of the crypto winter 2018. And it essentially, it's talking about which altcoins have done the best and which altcoins have done the worst in the last three months. So, since the market kind of plummeted, what has been the most wrecked and what has been the least wrecked? Hey, that's fascinating how the, the market peaked at 800, around $820 billion mm. US dollars in early January. And now, we're sort of looking just below, like below the $400 billion mark. That's yeah. It's great. So people just jumped in at the top, said, I'm never doing this again. Sold, sold, sold. <laughs> Yikes. And I think that's why people have been nervous to get back in. Because yeah. it's just, you know, you know, no one knows where the bottom it's is. It's been a nice sort of slow slump, though. I yeah. mean, if I'd had more cash to invest, I bought on the way down. Mm. And it's still good prices. And now I've just got to wait a bit longer and then buy some more. Yeah. But it's pretty keen. I think it's good. I think it was good for everyone to, ta- to catch their breath and. You know, it's allowed people to focus more on what projects we're actually doing than just on the on the price. But anyway, we've, so we've got this list. 
Oh wow! So the, <laughs> the isn't that? <laughs> this is, I was thinking they've made a spelling mistake or something. They said the top ten altcoins that fared relatively well during this downtrend include. And then you've got like DigiX DAO, which went down forty one percent. Litecoin, which down sixty percent. Monero down sixty percent. Binance Coin down sixty percent. Ethereum down sixty three percent. Those are the ones that are doing relatively well. They apparently. did the best. Yeah. <laughs> so the, t- the top 10, the, the top altcoin in this whole downtrend, so the one that did the best went down 41%. Well, do you know what? That's good news if you're looking to buy it. But I mean, sheesh, if you're holding that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, and then the top 10 cryptos that were mauled, as they say, <laughs> by the bears in this down this downtrend. And it, this list doesn't include BitConnect. Um, and we'll put, the, we'll put the link in the show notes so you, all you guys can look at it. But uh, in descending order, it goes uh, Zcash, which is 96%, Bitcoin Gold, 89%, Arda, 89%, Seacoin, 88%, Verge, 88%, Tron, 88%, Nem, 86%, Cardano, 85%, Bitcoin, 85%, and HShare, 85%. So, that's like, if you'd put in 10 bucks, you've now got two bucks. Mm. Or less. Or less. <laughs> or less. I mean, yes. if you invested in Zcash at the height, and you put in $10, you would now have 40 cents. You know, the market gives you opportunities. Whether this is an opportunity or not, time will only tell, but... What are you doing in this situation? Are you just hodling? Yeah, mate. I'm. I'm not. I'm honestly not doing too much. I mean, my my focus has been elsewhere. I haven't yeah. really even had had the chance to to look into it much. And me, for me personally, I'm more and more distrustful of exchanges, like the centralized exchanges mm. that we've got. I'm really hanging out for some good decentralized exchanges mm. where I can just, you know, transact with people. Uh, on a on a basically one to one basis without mm-hmm. an inter- intermediary. Mm. Um, when you see news like Coinbase giving up, you know, ten thousand, uh, a whole bunch of fifteen thousand people's records, and there's been you know talk around other exchanges doing a similar thing as well. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm just 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 waiting, just yeah. just biding my time, um, and yeah, I think. Look, I didn't invest basically anything in the big run-up anyway. I just, I, I kind of, I, when I saw the euphoria and the just the amount of hype around everything, I just said, nah. I Mate, it was ridiculous. My yeah. portfolio grew way too far, way too fast, and I was getting excited. I'm not going to lie. I was like, wow. <laughs> then it went down, and I was like, oh, everything's getting cheaper, and I was buying more, but now I'm just sort of sitting there like, well, I bought as it went down, and now I'm just going to like, I, all I do is buy. I haven't sold anything yet. Yeah. I'm just, you yeah. know, bought a couple of things with Litecoin. But yeah. To be honest, the only stuff I've really traded recently was to put, uh, I put some Bitcoin into Dash so I could use Dash to pay for things. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, the Brisbane, for those of you guys that aren't in Brisbane, Brisbane is really becoming a great for crypto payments mm. like very quickly mm. because of the work that the Travel by Bit guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's literally them single-handedly, single-handedly are making mate. this city somewhere that you can actually go and eat food, have drinks, buy, you know, get your hair cut, yep. go and you can actually travel around and paying with crypto. Yeah, and they've made it so, so the back end runs on Living Room of Satoshi, I believe, which uh-huh. is the, the we've, we've talked about it before. Yeah, it's you can pay room. any bank account with crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they'd make it really easy. They just go in, you walk in, there's a, uh, a tablet that they give merchants and they just put in the amount and which currency we want to pay with. And then a little QR code pops up and you just scan that on your phone and mm. hit send and a second later it's done. Mm. And that's all they have to do. They get paid in... They can choose whether they get paid in crypto or they get paid in uh, Australian dollars. Mm. And it's really simple, mate. So, if you do decide to come and visit this vanquished part of the world, drop by Brisbane and, yeah, drop us a note. Say hello. We'll come and have a, we'll come and have a Bitcoin beer with you, but neither of us own enough Bitcoin to buy a beer. So, I guess we'll just pay with something else. <laughs> But yeah, check out the uh, check out the link in the show notes for the Crypto Winter article. Mate, this is something I know very little about, but I'm still going to talk about it anyway. Coming out, it's just something to be aware of. We're just a little emerging markets update. So, um, the there's the ACFTA, um, ACFTA, lovely little acronym, the African Continent Free Trade Area deal. Um, now, the signing is going to be taken, the leaders of 55-ish countries in Africa are going to be signing this deal. Now, it's going to take some time because, you know, getting agreement from 55 different people is not, it's easier said than done, I reckon. Mm. But basically... It's going to make intracontinental trading easier, so between um, African nations. So, according to the BBC, while raw materials are abundant, like the processing facilities aren't actually common with Africa for a lot of these raw materials, mm. like oil, um, things like that. So, a lot of materials are actually shipped outside the continent. So, in Africa, yeah, back uh, still on the BBC here, just 16% of trade is between African countries. Wow. Um, which is actually really low compared to a lot of other other areas. So mm. it may not have a massive impact right now, but 20 years after this being signed and you know, having trade between free trade between African nations, this could be such great news. And I, I'm mm. super excited for this because so many fascinating countries in Africa, um, you know, it's not just Nigeria, it's not just South Africa. Mm. You know, you've got you've got Angola, there's a huge amount of resources there. Yeah. You've got a huge amount of potential in like Kenya, mm. huge amounts of things going mm. on there. Yeah. Um, bunch of these countries have huge amounts of raw materials and creative power yeah. that's just coming online. Yeah, and, and, and education too. Like, I mean, Kenya's a really good example of what a good education program can, can really do. There's been a lot of work with, with NGOs in that country to uh, bring some really high-quality educational standards wow. there. And you're seeing a lot of really bright people come out there very, very well-educated now. Um yeah, there's like you said, mate. There is so much potential in that area, mm. and 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 the, the significance of the royal raw materials not being able to be processed and refined and 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 kind of converted within Africa is quite significant because it's generally that refining or conversion process where all the money is made and where all the values are. Yeah, yeah you're like right. If, you're right. You know, yeah. like a, the raw materials themselves are generally pretty cheap, mm. and the margins aren't huge. It's it's once those materials are made into something into a, into a product mm-hmm. that can be sold to the consumer that's where the real margins are mm-hmm. and so what's happening is essentially africa are trading away their margin to other continents mm-hmm. and they're only getting compensated for the raw materials which, which is, is a real shame yeah. it is a real shame it's it's kind of worked for them so far as far as it goes yeah. but it's really interesting to see uh the the 
powers that be starting to wake up to this in Africa and, and make some efforts to change it. Mm-hmm. Because like we've talked about before, I mean, Africa's... They've, they've been kind of the, the puppet uh, at the end of the world's fingers, you know? Like, oh, there's been yeah. a lot of overseas interests in that place that have kind of dictated what's gone on there the British the and French, we have... And oh. the Portuguese, we yeah. like... All three of our, they, these countries have a dark history there. That, that's that's true, and, it's, and they're finally kind of emerging from from what's going on in the last few centuries. So exciting to see. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Now, on the FOMO show, like we'll continue down the line talking about the different index funds that are looking that invest in Africa. We'll be giving updates on uh, on infrastructure, uh, you know, because it's, it's, you know, it's amazing how smallish changes that we might think are happening actually have huge impacts. Mm. So mm. we're going to be watching that. So keep tuned to the FOMO show. We'll be covering that over many years to come because that is my retirement I'm like is a good proportion of my retirement funds are Mm. invested here Mm. so what's your space so IBM uh, have created a prototype for the world's smallest computer for blockchain tech and it measures a millimeter by a millimeter yeah look whatever you're doing right now stop it (laughs) go into the show notes Find the one that says IBM creates world's smallest computer or something, whatever we've called it. Click on it, open it up, because the image that pops up when you first open this article shows exactly how small this little computer chip is. And how big that is for the blockchain. And it is tiny. It's, it fits on like the, the, the tiny part of your finger, but within this little computer... You've got a processor, memory, storage, and a communications module. And if you're familiar with computer science at all, you would know that that is all you need for a complete computer system that can communicate with with another computer system, which is all you need for something to communicate with the blockchain. So, it's essentially size like a grain of salt. And the article says a final version of the microscopic computer could cost as little as 10 cents per unit to manufacture. IBM expects to begin offering these crypto anchors, they're calling uh, microcomputers to customers in the next 18 months or so. At that point, it will be up to the industry to devise a blockchain system to authenticate goods. IBM believes this technology will become commonplace in the next five years, which I think is quite a, a conservative estimate with how good this could be. Well, just, surely, if you can make them this small, you can just attach them to pretty much every product, everything. You know, we were talking, mm. that, we were talking last episode about... Walmart yep. patenting a bunch of stuff for measuring things going through their system, temperature yep. info, all of this sort of stuff. Yep. Now, it's almost like having a little... Would, would, would that would be what they were using it for? Exactly, like yeah. Little- like it, it's, it's no coincidence that this has come out after they've announced that, uh, oh, organ- yeah. that arrangement with Maersk. Because I've already seen some, uh, some articles, I don't know whether they were from IBM or from someone else, talking about the fact that what they're planning on doing is creating, making everything essentially within that supply chain have a chip. And that wow. chip is connected to a blockchain. And the moment it, it goes into somewhere new, so let's say the, the cargo gets lifted off the, the ship into port, the, the cargo container will know that it's not on the ship anymore, but it's mm. in port. And it'll be reporting that to the blockchain. And then within the cargo container, there'll be a whole bunch of boxes. And they'll each have a destination assigned to them and they'll be communicating with with the blockchain and saying we're now in port, and whatever smart contract is attached to that can then well, it'll be monitoring the blockchain and it'll go oh 
they're now in port. Do whatever I need to do. And, you know, then it can communicate with the, the courier company and yeah. say, this container's in port. Um, so, you know, this box is in port. This parcel's in port. Go pick it up. Postal and trucking is going to get great. It's Because if you've, if you've got a one-by-one one millimeter chip, hmm. these things are going to make building smart items and blockchain-enabled um you know, containers, parcels, whatever it be. I mean, we've talked about cars before, you know, having a chip in each part of the car to monitor whatever signals come in and, you know, report back to uh, the, the car computer and then the car computer can report to a blockchain if mm. it needs to. Uh, that's that's all going to be possible with a little chip like wow. this. You can you can essentially fit this in anything. So, just if just just um, just on this... Go back to, um, if you haven't seen it already, episode 11, we covered Boaty McBoatchain, um, where we covered IBM and Maersk, the massive shipping company, their logistics, blockchain, tech investments interest. We talk all about that there. So really interesting, all about ports and permissions and all kinds of things. Mm. Go back to our episode 11, really worth checking out. And this tiny chip works exactly with that. And I'm so glad you mentioned, man, because yeah. I didn't fully make that connection until yeah. you mentioned it but yeah like every shipping container is going to have one of those and that's fascinating yeah and look that's that's really i mean we talk about adoption all the time we talk about about when blockchain is going to kind of become useful to to enterprise generally and i think this is a huge step in that direction because the whole manufacturing sector is going to be able to quite inexpensively put some kind of blockchain functionality in their products. And the thing about a chip like this is all you need to do is feed it inputs from elsewhere in your product and it can do nearly whatever you want it to do. Um, so, Matt, I'm really, really excited for this. I think the possibilities are going to be uh, pretty much endless. And I think, uh, look, hats off to IBM. Like, uh, I'm continually blown away by this company and how forward-thinking they are. Um, yeah, with Watson, with a lot of their smart city stuff. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, they, they really are, they really seem like they want to build the backbone for the next, you know, the, the blockchain future. And it's it's really cool, man. So, watch this space. The, the chip itself is still in, it's still a prototype, so it's only just been developed. But I can guarantee you that they are trying to get this thing to market as quick as they can mm. uh, before anyone else does because it, the the possibilities that it presents is yeah pretty mind-blowing mate 10 wow. cents per unit that is ridiculously cheap it's it's really cheap man if you can make anything blockchain compatible for 10 cents 10 mate, cents per unit and what then I want to see thousands is, of dollars of programming I want to see DHL okay let's call it I want to see DHL and FedEx just jump on this. Mm. If you'd like to be a part of the show, why not send us a voice recording? If it's under a minute long and in an MP3 or WAV file, we'll try our best to fit you into the show. Whether you're sharing news, a few facts about an industry, an interesting tidbit or just even an observation, you can email it to us at fomoshow at protonmail.com. We'll put the email in the show notes. This episode's coin of the week, we're going to talk about Neo. My name is Neo. Yeah, so Neo is essentially an Ethereum competitor, and and it was called Anshares until late last year when they rebranded and called it Neo. 
Now, what it essentially proposes to be is a smart contract platform similar to Ethereum, but with some differences. And it's it's come out of China. So it's a, it's a China-based platform and it's got a lot of backing behind it uh, from the Chinese community. When I first heard about this, I thought, well, it's... It's an Ethereum competitor, but it's a long way behind. Can it really compete with this big juggernaut that is Ethereum? And especially because it sounds like it does similar things. It's, it's, it's kind of structured somewhat similarly, although we'll get into a lot of the differences soon. But the biggest thing it's got going for it is it is from China. And it seems to have gotten a lot of momentum behind it from the Chinese community and the, especially the Chinese business community. Okay. You've got WeChat. You've got, you know, um, well, even Alibaba is a huge, huge company, mm. which lets you basically get directly in touch with manufacturers in China. Yep. And that is, hu- like, it's up there with, with Amazon in size. It's huge. Yeah, and we, like, we hear about Amazon a lot because that's kind of the Western version. But Alibaba is, like, their valuation is right up there near Amazon. And... That's because they've come out of China and they've they've kind of got the the whole momentum of the Chinese business community behind them as this outwards facing manufacturing building solutions for things kind of country, and that's why when you get like a blockchain platform that's coming out of that kind of environment with that kind of momentum behind it, it's 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 really good to at least sit up and take notice. So that's yeah. why we wanted to dig into Neo. Yeah. Um. And look. The other thing to say about Neo too is that one of the big reasons I think they've succeeded in uh, building a very good supporter base has been their marketing. They've they've made a real push since they swapped from AntShares to Neo to 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 market really really well, and they've they've used a whole bunch of different strategies to do that. And I've been very impressed with how they've presented their product and they've made it attractive to a lot of people that. Really didn't know much about it when it was AntShares. Another thing they've done really well too is focus on partnerships. And that, there's there's a lot of parallels with what Ethereum's done with the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and a lot of the companies involved in that and what Neo have done with a lot of their partnerships. They've made a real effort to partner with a lot of big Chinese businesses. Uh, they've been actively uh, partnering with some of the government of China as well, which is always okay. a really good idea. Some of the government departments there, and I think even some Western com- companies that have have a presence in China, like Microsoft, have had a lot to do with Neo uh, over the past six or so months. Yeah. And so it, it seems like they're doing all the right things, mm. kind of just like what Ethereum has done with with their alliances to make sure that there's a very big enterprise presence and a developer presence right. behind what they're doing. One of the big differences I've seen with it, mate, is that they seem to focus a lot more on being regulator-friendly. Now, okay. Ethereum have been... Uh, ha- all of their material and the, the, the community behind it have had a lot more of a focus on just doing things very decentralized and very open source mm-hmm. and kind of despite of regulations. I mean, the ICO... Uh, trend is like one of the big examples of that you know it's it's kind of a yeah. move fast and break things mentality you know we're just going to do this and apologize later that's right yeah, yeah it's, it's easy to ask for forgiveness and permission whereas it <laughs> seems like neo have made a lot more of an effort to build a a mentality into their platform and some mechanisms into their platform where they can actively take part in regulations for countries mm. um and I think that's that's something that look that's really promising because, like it or not, we're not going to see the state-based systems that we know and love collapse overnight. You know, they 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 are at least for 
the next decade or two here to stay. So what Neo is proposing to be is a uh, a digital asset platform. There, there seems to be a big focus on tokenizing and bringing a- real world assets to the blockchain, and that seems to be where they're saying they're going to build this smart economy because they they see a real need to have an intersection between the real world and the blockchain and allow physical assets to have a digitization feature. And that kind of follows on from what we were talking about earlier with this IBM uh, microchip. You know, that, that it, it will make a lot of sense that uh, assets can interact with the blockchain. And so, so what they're essentially saying with this digital asset economy is that you could essentially put... A you know a, a car on the blockchain or a house on the blockchain and and attach a certain identifier to that asset and then allow uh, transactions with that asset on the blockchain, which cut around a lot of the the current um, you know back and forth and administrative issues with the the transferring of assets mm-hmm. and working out who has right of ownership and who doesn't have right of ownership and and everything in relation to that. One of the biggest areas that uh, that they really need to get at to be able to have have a system like that that allows this smart economy is digital identity, and they've taken a little bit of a different approach to Ethereum. Ethereum has very much taken a a decentralized approach to that. They would like to see a decentralized identity that was not contingent on any kind of state organization whatsoever. Whereas Neo has taken the the um, the view that governments should be actively involved in giving these identities because they're the current custodians of identity verification yeah. at the moment. So mm. it makes a lot more sense to to kind of get on the front foot with them and say, hey, let's help you get on the blockchain. Let's help you uh, get people's identities onto this digital smart economy so that we can move forward and start pushing assets around and we know that these people are who they say they are. And that seems to really run through NEO in general, the way they're approaching things. They're, they're very much about mo- uh, working with existing infrastructure, working with the, exist- the way existing power works. And look, for quite frankly, that's, that's how they've got to do it if they're based in China. It's quite <laughs> um, sensible, sensible if they, if they take the view of Ethereum, they're not going to have a good time. And that's mm. arguably why Ethereum hasn't had a good time in China, just because there hasn't been that that active involvement with the state entity that, that, that NEO has. Well, I guess in the same way as, you know, in, in Britain they have, you know, buy British food. In Australia they're like buy Australian food and when they put flags on products and mm. you're like, oh, I'm going to buy that because it's Australian. Mm. China's going to be no different. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, 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 and that's recognising that is actually a big step, I think, and it's one of the reasons why I think NEO is so attractive as a as a really interesting alternative because they're building infrastructure that will not only slot in with the Chinese way of doing things, but it will slot in with the British way of doing things. Mm. It will slot in with the Australian way of doing things. Mm. When Once this technology is built, it will be quite easy for them to go to an Australian government, go to a British government and say, look, we've built this thing. Yeah, it works, it works in China. We get that you don't really like China for a bunch of various reasons, but hey, the technology will work really well with what you're doing and mm. we're happy to help you set it up too. Mm. And when, when you see something like that, especially for an ecosystem that's quite well advanced, it, it gives it a, a big head start on where Ethereum is and where a whole bunch of mm. other ones are because it makes it a lot easier for existing power structures to harness the blockchain 
and provides ways that you know you and I can still benefit. Yeah. So when we're looking at the technicals here, how do we, you know, what, what kind of what kind of specs are we looking at for this? Where do we compare it with Ethereum? Where is this totally new in some ways? Mm. So Neo is quite similar to Ethereum in the way it manages. It has a tra- transaction fee. So you've got a ether, which is a current ether, which is a currency of Ethereum, and then you've got gas, mm-hmm. um, and which you pay to make transactions with Ethereum. That's right. You right. pay to essentially get the Ethereum virtual machine to do operations. Okay. So if you want to get the the operating system of Ethereum to do something for you, you got to pay a transaction. So you know, let's say I want to send money from you to me using Ethereum. That's updating your contract state to have less and updating my contract state to have more. My account state, sorry, and yeah. your account state. Uh, and and is kind of similar in that it, it uses a similar model, but it actually splits things up into two currencies. Mm-hmm. So you've got NEO and gas. And NEO is what you can you can essentially purchase mm. and it's the it allows you to have like a stake it's kind of like a little share of the neo network mm-hmm. and whenever you have that in your neo wallet it will start accruing gas so this gas just starts filling up automatically now if you need more gas you can always go out and buy gas from someone else because someone may say well i want to have a stake I want to be able to make decisions on the network. Sorry, I'm a little confused. Mm. Is there a difference? So there's a di- definitely a difference between Neo Gas and Ethereum Gas. Yeah, so Ethereum Gas is essentially just Ethereum. Just with a different name? The, yeah, it, it, when it says gas cost, the yeah. gas cost is still in Ethereum. Right. It's just that you have to pay that fee for transactions, yeah. and that's called the gas. So with Neo Gas is a separate... Neo gas is actually, yeah, separate currencies. You've wow. got like two currencies. So you've got Neo and then you've got gas. Okay. And by staking your Neo in your wallet or just having a Neo sitting in your wallet, yeah. it will start accruing gas. Cool. So it's kind of like free transaction money, you know? Um, Keen. Uh, and if you need more, if you're doing a lot of computations, you can, yeah, you can go and buy it from somewhere else and okay. it's, it's quite easy. But it splits it up, um, which is which is really interesting and there's that it, it it kind of allows there to be a, a big differentiation between uh neo which is uh, essentially the stake in the network and gas which is the transactional part of the network the reason that makes sense is because neo is proof of stake so ethereum is proof of work which is kind of like bitcoin you've got a whole bunch of computers all uh all linked up as nodes and they're all competing to produce blocks Whereas uh, Neo is using proof of stake, and that's essentially where you have a wallet on a on a computer, you host a node, so you have the whole blockchain on your computer, and then you freeze those funds. You essentially say, "I'm going to lock these funds up, and one, now that they're locked up, I'm going to just secure the network. I'm going to have these here as my proof that I've got the funds, and I'll secure the network. Um, and you get assigned a, a chance to." Um, write blocks to the blockchain because right. of your stake. Neo is a little bit more similar to EOS, which we've talked about before, in that it uses a, a delegated version of proof of stake. So essentially, you have what they call bookkeepers, mm. and bookkeepers are kind of like big nodes. And you, as someone that holds Neo, can vote for these bookkeepers and say, right. "I want this bookkeeper to write to write the 
the the box uh-huh. and to make decisions on my behalf. So it's kind of like voting in an election, I guess. Mm-hmm. You elect your member of parliament to the parliament of NEO right. and they go off and then produce the legislation, right. um, which is the, the blocks. And if you don't like what they're doing, you can send your vote somewhere else. Right. But it means you don't have to be involved every single day right. in making the decisions okay. and tying your computer up with the network. You just get a, a certain weight to your decisions based on the amount of Neo that you hold. Right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. So that's delegated proof of stake. Yeah, it's, it's, they call it a delegated Byzantine fault tolerance, um, okay. but I think that's just them trying to find a different name for it. Whenever they want to make any decision, so these delegates, these bookkeepers, they have to reach 66% uh, consensus before that decision can be made. Eesh. So uh, it's a two thirds majority kind Mate, of Mate, that's not easy. I mean, Brexit was 52 48. I yeah. mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, if it was a 66% decision, anyway, enough of that. Neo. <laughs> um, but of course, then this creates an issue because it then becomes centralized and you, mm. uh, you're essentially cent- centralizing all the power with a few of these bookkeepers. Mm. Which, at first, I, I was looking at it and I thought, oh, well, that's kind of different to Ethereum. But then I was thinking about it. There's only there's not many big block producers in Ethereum. Most of the big miners are the ones that produce most of the blocks. So, the power to write blocks is actually quite centralized in Ethereum as well. Um, and Bitcoin, and there's a lot of networks that are like that. So, right. the, But the big, the big benefit of this proof of stake or delegated proof of stake is that it it's, gives a lot faster transaction speeds. Neo's estimated at uh, a thousand transactions per second, whereas Ethereum's only fifteen transactions per second. You know, Ethereum have eventually got to just up their game. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I mean, they've got sharding in the pipeline. They've got the Raiden network. Um, there's all these different things that they're working on to try and bring it up. Right. And Casper, uh, which is another one they're working on, I'm right. pretty sure which is the one that's associated with proof of stake. Right. So they're hoping to move to proof of stake as right. well, but it's. Look, it's really strange, mate. Like, I, I, I love so much of what's going on in Ethereum, but the platform is just so behind and they're having to work so hard to kind of bootstrap this this thing up yeah. from the proof of work into proof of stake. Yeah, it's not like an easy process, I guess. It's not like an easy process. And I think it's like it, trying to change the motor in a moving vehicle. <laughs> it, well, it really is because there's so much momentum And getting 60 thing. people to agree on how we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, cause it, this thing's moving and it's moving it's moving fast, but it's, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the motor's like blowing out every, you know, couple of seconds because there's just so much, mm. you know, it's, it's so far behind everything else. So th- that's why we're seeing these other platforms come up like Neo, like Cardano, like EOS, who've looked at Ethereum and been like, oh, I think we could do it better. Um so, Neo gives. So there are two tokens, Neo and Gas. Neo yeah. gives you a stake in the decision making. Yeah, it means that you can help elect or choose the bookkeepers. Yeah, and it gives you rights to like a share of the platform. That's right. And then Gas, which is like the transaction fees that you pay, is an entitlement that you get by holding, hodling, Neo. Yeah, and staking the network. Yeah, yeah, and okay. because there's because there's so much of a. Uh, transaction capability per second mm-hmm. fees tend to be really low right. so you don't ha- tend to be having to spend a lot of gas to make your transactions and it does make it a lot more um, uh, beneficial for you know micro transactional type of okay type of uh, things how is that incentive how does that incentive work yeah so the the, the bookkeepers are essentially 
allowed to charge a transaction fee in right. gas for the transactions on the blockchain. Um, and they're the only ones that receive that gas. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's actually really interesting because decoupling gas from NEO tends to incentivize bookkeepers to keep transactions fees low. Is that because of competition between bookkeepers to offer lower... That's right. Because the NEO holders have the capability to, to elect the bookkeepers, right. if bookkeepers consistently... If like a bookkeeper consistently votes to keep fees high, all the NEO holders are going to say, well, we can't trust you anymore to be a bookkeeper. We're going to elect someone else. Mm. And they can essentially stop electing that bookkeeper with their NEO and elect someone different who's going to keep transactions lower. And the other thing too is that if fees are significantly higher all the time, people aren't going to want to use the Mm, NEO platform. mm, mm. They're going to want to go somewhere else where fees are cheaper. So, it's in the best interest of the bookkeepers to keep fees low to attract as many people as possible to the system. That's the logic anyway. Mm. Um, How these bookkeepers will behave once a lot of people are on the system remains to be seen. When you really come to comparing NEO with Ethereum, we've got smart contracts here. We've got Ethereum virtual machines. What's going on there? How does how does that how does NEO work for this? Firstly, looking at Ethereum, Ethereum has one main smart contract language, which is Solidity, and that compiles down into like a bytecode for okay. the Ethereum virtual machine. And so, for those people who don't know, bytecode is essentially what all of your computers run on. Right. That's like the very lowest layer. It's it's like binary code. Right. Um, and that's kind of the most basic version of computer language you can really get. Okay. Um, and so Solidity is built to interact directly with that. And it's kind of like a cross between JavaScript, which runs a lot of what you see on the internet, mm-hmm. and C++, which runs a lot of what you see in like games and right. databases. Right. And, uh, a lot of the really intensive programs will run on C++. The other thing to say about Solidity too is that it was... It's its own language, so you have to learn it. Um, it's different to any other language you've ever really seen. Neo, on the other hand, has um, five different languages, and they're all languages that people already know. So it, that what they do is they say, look, we will let you code in these languages that you already know, and they, they're trying to add more to the platform as we go, mm. and we are going to instead build a virtual machine which takes that, coding and translates it into the the smart contract language and then we'll put it on the virtual machine that way it, it makes it so that the developers can jump on start coding in languages they're fam- familiar on and then neo does the work to implement those languages on their virtual machine holy cow contract. are you saying that this optimizes the code that's right. That's idiot proof. If you're That's like a sp- actually idiot proof. Yeah, like if you're like a staunch developer, you'll be like, no, that everyone should code properly and, you know, it, it, we shouldn't make it easier for people. But they've built some standards around this and they've really thought about, okay, how can we make this more attractive t- for developers? Because the big problem Ethereum's running into is that developers don't want to develop for it because they've got to learn a whole new language and mm. they've got to learn a whole new way to do things. And, and you've got to get things done and delivered and shipped and that's stuff right. like that. And who's got time to learn? Exactly. Yeah. And look, they're working on another language called Viper Ethereum and oh. it's kind of like based on Python. That's why they've called it Viper. Nice. But still, ah, it's not clever. It's not Python. Like it's, right. it's, an, it's another language that, um, that they've developed for... Ethereum specifically. And so I think it's really interesting that Neo have chosen to say, let's build a system that works with what 
we've already got. And that seems to be the mentality through everything. They're like, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's make it as easy as possible for, to develop for this thing. And let's instead focus our efforts on taking all that stuff that they do mm. in the format that they know and distill it into something that works better. You know, just distill wow. it into good smart contract language. And look, the other thing to say is, to Ethereum's credit, they, they plan to implement this. But at the same time, they plan to implement pr- proof of stake for over two, two years. And, you know, we're still not there. We're um, waiting. <laughs> we're still waiting, you know. So, while there is some progress, these guys have built this from the ground up. Um, wow. And it does make it more attractive. Yeah. The way it optimizes things, it does mean it takes slightly longer uh, for the, the code to execute, but that's balanced off by the fact that it's it's optimized. You know, the, 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 the time work that they're doing is optimizing it. So, right now, the price is actually better than it was Christmas time. Yeah, Neo had like a late run, had a really late bull run. And then it's, it kind of plummeted back down. So, the long and short of it is is that NEO, at least at face value, seems to be a more efficient and faster way of executing smart contracts than Ethereum. Yeah, do you think this is going to be an Ethereum killer? How, what are your thoughts on that? Does it need to kill Ethereum? <laughs> I don't think it needs to kill Ethereum. I'm... I'm the more research I did into Neo. I mean, I, look. Full disclosure: I'm an early Neo backer. I I bought some back when it was still Ant shares, and I bought more once it became Neo. Um, I've really liked what's coming out of them, and there's been a lot of different views on on what they're doing. You know, you could have told me when you bought it. Like, <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> there's just too many. Just because I'm not even on the train, I'm just learning about this train. It was it was just another thing back then, but but. The, the, look, the marketing was one thing that really got me. I think they present a really good product and they seem to be very focused on presenting a good product and they have a lot of backing and, and, and that backing seems to be a little bit more unified than the Ethereum backing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ethereum uh, network, and because it's distributed, I think that's, that's why. It's, it's a bit more fractured, you know, and there's different parts doing all sorts of different things. Uh, Neo seems a little bit more together i guess and that might be the china effect as well um but i i just i really like a lot of what they're doing and i like how they are they are being quite realistic with a lot of their choices you know and they they seem to be encouraging as many people as possible to get on this platform um and they seem to be making some really smart design decisions Mm. um which which encourages me and look uh, the reality is that the, the platforms that make it easiest for governments to implement are also going to be the platforms that make uh, themselves the most attractive to enterprise in a lot of ways because a lot of enterprise is government-facing mm. or at least has to incorporate some elements of what governments do. Mm. And mm. if you can get a product to a state that uh, where you can say, look, here it is. We've already got a whole bunch of things that will make your life easier right now. Mm-hmm. We've already done this in China. We can do it somewhere else. Yeah. It's going to be a lot more attractive to a government than coming to them and saying, look, there's this blockchain thing, but we're really going to have to build. You know, We're really going to have to build a lot of stuff to make this work. And if you can get that government adoption, that state adoption, then... You know, I think a lot of businesses are just going to have to follow by necessity. The company on chain, which is pretty connected to Neo, uh, they've got a lot of things going on. They were the first Chinese blockchain company to join Hyperledger, which is one of the big collaboration projects, um, which works towards 
essentially using blockchain in businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been working on Legal Chain, which is essentially a, an initiative in Microsoft China, and they want to digitize and secure signatures using blockchain technology. Um, they've worked with the Japanese Ministry of Con- Economy. Nice. They were voted as KPMG's top 50, fin- one of the KPMG's top 50 fintech companies in China. Uh, they've got a partnership with Alibaba, and that should prick up right. some ears. Uh, and they've got a lot of collaboration with Chinese government as well. And they've got a lot of investment behind them too, like a lot of Chinese investment. And you know that China is making a huge play right now, like a huge play to reestablish the Silk Road, which is like this ancient trading network throughout the whole of Asia and Europe and other places. Mm. And there's going to be a lot of transport involved in that. There's going to be a lot of connectivity needed in that. And if you are... Uh, any country along that Silk Road and you are in integrating Chinese infrastructure, the blockchain that the Chinese government use and the Chinese companies use to do all the work on that thing will make the most sense for you to also get on as well. So it'd be silly to totally ignore this this project. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Keen. So check check Neo out. We'll put Neo. some uh, some links in the show notes. It's something I'm quite interested in. I need to mm. do more research myself. I've been like watching it from the sidelines for a while, but I'd really love to dig in and and see how a lot of the the practical stuff works. And you know, I'll, I'll report back once I have. But it's, it's it it does look absolutely fascinating, and especially the bit about developers because it's making it easy to work with. Mm. Just sounds like a dream. Mm. Now, look, there's a lot of stuff we haven't touched on as well. So definitely do your own research. Have a look into it. There's there's a lot to it. I didn't actually realise that the ecosystem for Neo was as far along as it was, but. I think it's something that we you, you really need to be aware of. If you're interested in where this space is going and what may be big in the future, uh, Neo is definitely one that, that you should be looking at. We, um, we lost touch with Jordan after last episode. Um, now, I reckon we should just give it a few more days and then actually get in touch with him. Mm. Um, he has a way of popping back up. I'd he, yeah, he's like a boomerang, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he'll 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 show up. Surely he'll show up. He always shows up. That can't be the last we've seen of Jordan. Yeah, mm. as much as we don't want to, he always appears again. Hey, well that's uh, that's it for this episode. Um, thank you so much for joining us. If you know somebody who might enjoy the show, um, please feel welcome to share it with them. Um, yeah, why not? You can find us at FOMO.show. And you can jump on our Slack channel, which is a, a kind of like our chat room yeah, at yeah, yeah. Uh, FOMO.show slash Slack. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The FOMO Show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. And you can also subscribe to The FOMO Show in your podcast app of choice or alternatively, alternatively on YouTube. And that'll let you know whenever a new episode comes out. So, yeah, yeah. please do hit subscribe. Well, that's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO.
Yeah, yeah. Czech, Czech, Czech. Yeah, Czech Republic. Yeah. yeah. I'm just putting you on lists here. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have my VPN on. <laughs> I don't have a life outside the blockchain, mate. It's <laughs> literally all I do. It's <laughs> a fair point. Wouldn't it be so bad, right? <laughs> if we, if if blockchain was like Betamax, and we've just ridden this freaking <laughs> Betamax. <laughs> Every year, more than five million Americans are struck with a sickness, a terrible sickness, something we still don't have a cure for. It's called FOMO. Well, I was... Sorry, I'm just getting really emotional about this, but I was just a normal guy, just going through life, and then... I read an article about Bitcoin, and from from then on, it must have been well, a couple of months. And at first, it started with small amounts, like ten dollars, twenty dollars here or there. But sooner or later, I was selling my pickup truck and mortgaging my house. My wife had to get a job. I started getting my kids to build lemonade stand outside, and I was spending it all. I was I was on top of the world. I was trading, and. Uh, you know, riding futures and shorting everything. And then, well, the FOMO just really got a hold of me and I went all in. I thought I could just keep making it. And then the winter hit. The market crashed. I lost it all, man. 